Hello, I'm your host Josh Charrick and welcome to A History of Heavy Metal and 100 Songs, Episode 2. Today I'll be discussing Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley and his Comets. I'd like to say thank you to everyone who's listened to the first episode in the introduction. I've had overwhelmingly positive feedback from a lot of you and it really means a lot, so thanks very much. If you'd like to get in touch and you don't know how, you can find me on Twitter. I've now got a Twitter and it's at uh, A-H-O-H-M 100. Some of the feedback that I got from a couple of people was it would be really good to hear the song in the episode. There are some issues with this just in terms of copyright and whenever I ask someone about this I get a different answer every time as to what I can and can't do. I think also it becomes a bit more interactive if you go and search out the song as well because by searching for the song hopefully you'll come across other songs by the same artist and I'll put it into a bit of context for you and hopefully you'll get to discover a bit more by these great artists that we look at. Having said that though I'm recording this on Anchor which is a podcast platform by Spotify. They let podcast producers put songs in without having to worry about the copyright of them. So I'm going to try and do that today. I think you'll need to be logged into your Spotify account though to listen to the full song, otherwise you might hear the first 30 seconds only. So let's give it a go. Here is Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley and his Comets. Okay, so I've just tried to add a song from Spotify's library into my podcast, but unfortunately what it does is it won't push the podcast to all the other platforms that I have it on. And I know that quite a few of you listening to this are listening to this on uh, on Google or on um, other platforms, and I still want to keep it distributed to them. So for now, I'm just not going to put the song in. Maybe next week I'll look into adding snippets of the song throughout the episode, so I do apologise about that. Rock Around the Clock is one of those songs which is so ingrained in our culture, so overplayed, it's just sort of there, like Hi-Ho, Silver Lining or Bohemian Rhapsody. It's transcended its genre as a 50s rock and roll song to pretty much a modern folk song It's that well known. Unlike Bohemian Rhapsody, when it gets played in film, TV or discos, it pretty much just blends into the background because we've heard it so much. There's a guitar shop in my hometown called Rock Around the Clock. It did have a clock on the shop sign, but it just seemed to disappear one day. As I talk about this, I realise there aren't actually many comparable songs like this one, which have achieved such high levels of fame they're no longer considered important almost. Yet the irony is by getting this level of fame and cultural reach, it's a very important song. Maybe we can call this the Bill Haley Paradox. So how did it manage to get this status? One important fact, it was the first of its kind. Well, that's not entirely true. It was the first of its kind to get famous. The lyrics to the song, one, two, three o'clock, four o'clock rock, five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock rock, etc. seem quite vacuous. And it's kind of surprising, really, it took two people, Max Friedman and James Myers, to write this. It doesn't exactly have the lyrical depth of Tool or Pink Floyd, and it's like the musical equivalent of a McDonald's burger. But that's actually a really good analogy. McDonald's engineered their burgers to be easy and tasty. In a similar way, Rock Around the Clock was written to be an easy listening song people dance to. Because not every bit of art leads us to question our lives or look into the very essence of our soul and question who we are, or overthrow the systems of oppression. And it does this really well. It got people up and dancing and has done ever since. Almost 70 years later, it's a classic played at weddings, birthday parties, bar mitzvahs and other functions. The magic of this song is the music itself, as opposed to the lyrics. It utilises the 12-bar blues format, 
And on top of this, also has a format we're a bit more used to today, which is a verse and chorus. Although maybe a verse to refrain would be a bit more of an accurate description. It's 180 beats per minute, which is on the slightly fast end of the spectrum. It's an A major, which creates this up-tempo, upbeat song perfect for dancing to. And 180 beats per minute is actually a really good running speed, so put this on your playlist and it will keep you running at a good pace. That mix of tempo, key and tonality just makes you want to get up and dance. The instrumentation is diverse. Unlike a four-piece band with guitar, drums, bass, vocals, maybe a rhythm guitar, the Comets was a seven-piece. They had a guitar, vocals, drums, the horn section punctuating the beat, underpinned by a double bass playing a walking jazz line. This gave the music added complexity, which gave listeners the depth which maybe the lyrics lacked. Just to be clear, lyrics and vocals are different. Lyrics are just the words, whereas the vocals are the words sung to a melody and a rhythm. The vocals are the catchiest part of the song. They're the hook. They work their way up and down the A major scale, following the 12-bar blues progression similar to a walking bass line. Haley's voice is punchy and stands out in the mix, and flows smoothly with the rest of the instrumentation. It also utilises the guitar solo. Sure, it's not Hendrix or Malmsteen, but we're not there yet. Guitar solos weren't really a thing yet, at least not these shows of speed and technical ability you might find from Kirk Hammett. At this time, rock and roll had a wider instrumentation than blues. Pianos and guitars were both lead instruments, but one would usually be the lead and the other the rhythm. It was really common for the piano to take the lead lines, and what we might consider a solo was more of a middle eight section or a piano riff to break up the song a bit. Horns are also very prominent in this era of rock and roll, again taking a lead from time to time. Tutti Frutti by Little Richard is a classic example of horns and piano taking the lead and the guitar being more of a rhythm and backing instrument. Then you had artists like Chuck Berry who really pushed the envelope for contemporary guitar playing and incorporated solos more like what we're used to. I'm sure most of us have seen that clip from Back to the Future where Marty McFly is jumping around the stage and rolling around on the floor playing powerful guitar solos to Johnny Be Good and then the audience are just staring at him. He gets up and says, I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet but your kids will love it. Johnny Be Good came out four years after Rock Around the Clock, so there really wasn't anything pushing the envelope for guitar solos at this time, and Marty McFly was right. Those guys probably aren't ready for it yet. <laughs> but Rock Around the Clock is a fun surf-style guitar riff which keeps the danceability of the song whilst adding diversity to the melody. Just as an aside, uh, I'm reading off some notes here and I've, I've abbreviated Rock Around the Clock to R-A-T-C and in my head I keep reading it as uh, Rage Against the Clock. <laughs> it's hard not to get caught up in the groove. From the perspective of a feel-good dance-along track, it's well written and I can see how two people sat down and created this, almost scientifically. As the McDonald's food scientist sat down to create an easily eatable burger, so did Friedman and Myers create an easily consumable song. The burger is by no means the best burger, but it's easy and it does the job. The song is not challenging, it's light and entertaining. It's also got a really interesting history. Before releasing this song, Haley had some degree of commercial success with some previous songs. He started off as a country and western singer, apparently a very highly respected yodeler, with his group The Saddlemen. After a string of releases, which were more rock and roll and rockabilly, the name didn't really fit the music, so a friend of Haley suggested The Comets as a play on Halley's Comet. His first hit came from his song Crazy Man Crazy, reaching number 12 in the Billboard charts. Some claim it's the first ever rock and roll song, but others argue it was the first in the pop charts. And again, I think this might come down to genre just being murky. I can imagine some people saying certain songs are rock and roll and others saying, nah, that's blues. In 1954, Bill Haley and his Comet signed to the label Decca and recorded Rock Around the Clock. 
It was released as a B-side to 13 Women and Only One Man in Town later that year, and that's also a very good song I'd recommend going off and listening to. On initial release, it sold around 75,000 copies, but it wasn't considered a commercial success. But then, the best thing that could have happened for Haley did. The song was picked up and used on a soundtrack for a film about youth rebellion. Blackboard Jungle, released in 1955, is about an inner city school, and Rage Against the Clock was the theme song. Almost overnight, the song became the theme for Youth Rebellion. In cinemas, when the song would come on, kids would start fighting or vandalising the cinema. Some theatres muted the song during the intro, but it appears at other times throughout the film. It was a controversial film, showing teen violence and struggles, and ended up being banned in some American cities. In the mid-50s, it had significant cultural weight, and not only was Rock Around the Clock carried along with it, it catapulted it to stratospheric success. It hit number one in the Billboard charts and stayed there for eight weeks. In the UK, it entered the charts several times, reaching number one in November 1955 for three weeks. It left the top spot, but then returned there in January 1956. It would see itself return to the UK charts a few more times over the next decades as the song would get re-released. To date, it sold over 25 million copies and is available in 30 different languages. That small unit sold then Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You or Presley's It's Now or Never, his highest selling song. And to put it in perspective, Candle in the Wind sold 33 million copies. But before I get a bit carried away with the legacy of the song, rock and roll was seen as rebellious and antisocial, and many attribute that to Rock Around the Clock being the soundtrack to Blackboard Jungle. It was also created by black musicians, and because of racism, the genre was looked down on. What's quite interesting is Bill Haley and his Comets played some music they enjoyed. They wore suits and smiled when they played it live, and then their song was used on this film's soundtrack and they became immoral and rebellious. I'm sure they understood the business implications of being on such a film, don't get me wrong, but it seems like Youth Rebellion chose them. To talk about Youth Rebellion and the upcoming cultural revolution of the 60s, we need to look at something else. During the 50s, rock and roll had its golden years. It was an evolution of blues, utilising the 12-bar blues format, but played a bit faster than regular blues, and it incorporated a backing band, something early blues artists didn't have on recordings often. Technology had moved on a lot in the past couple of decades, and one of the most crucial inventions in relation to music was the transistor in 1947. In 1954, the same year Rock Around the Clock was released, the first commercial transistor radio was released. There's no one thing that caused the impeding cultural revolution, but certain breakthroughs in cultural events are more important than others, and the transistor is probably one of the far more important inventions which helped enable teenage rebellion. Teenagers didn't exist before the mid-1950s. I mean, there were humans alive between the ages of 13 to 19, but they weren't seen as their own demographic. Radios were large, heavy, and expensive. A home would have one in the living room for the family to gather around, similar to how many of us grew up with a TV in the living room, something to aim the furniture at. And radios had valves in them. As a really top-level explanation, valves are used to increase the amplitude or signal in a circuit. They get really hot and brittle, and they can't be moved in this state, otherwise there's a good chance they'll break. The transistor is very small. It does the same job as a valve, but it's cheaper, lighter, more robust, and far less delicate meaning radios are becoming smaller, cheaper, and more portable. At this time, teenagers are becoming a group who start having money to spend. They start spending money on these affordable new radios they can keep in their rooms, away from their parents' prying ears. What happens is teens start listening to this immoral rock and roll music and there's no one around to stop them. 
This creates demand for more music and creates this new teenage demographic. As I say, there's no one thing that created the teen rebellion, but the transistor had a good part to play. And all these kids who saw Blackboard Jungle or wanted to get in on the hype could do. It's really no surprise rock and roll became big at the time that it did. So other than being one of the highest selling songs ever, refusing to move from the number one spot for a long time, re-entering the charts and helping start a cultural revolution, Rock Around the Clock left a huge legacy. This song influenced a new generation of musicians, with Frank Zappa saying, I didn't care if Bill Haley was white or sincere. He was playing the teenage national anthem and it was loud. I was jumping up and down. Although Blackboard Jungle had the old people winning in the end, it represented an endorsement. They have made a movie about us, therefore we exist. To paraphrase Paul McCartney, the first time I really ever felt to tingle up my spine was when I saw Bill Haley in the Comets on the telly. Seeing them live, I knew there was something going on here. And Pink Floyd's David Gilmour said, It's very hard to tell what made me first decide to play the guitar. Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley came out when I was 10, and that probably had something to do with it. Michael Hall, a journalist writing for Texas Monthly in 2011, summed it up really well. There's a before Rock Around the Clock and an after Rock Around the Clock. The before is Glenn Miller, Perry Como and Bing Crosby. The after is Elvis, The Beatles and Lady Gaga. In 1955, Bill Haley and his Comets toured the Midwest with a little-known act at the time, Elvis Presley, who was a fan. Haley and Presley became friends after this. This song didn't just influence, it shifted the cultural paradigm and not many bands, let alone songs, can claim this. I couldn't agree more with Michael Hall's comment. The song changed the trajectory of music and arguably society, helping to give teens a voice. I like to think of culture as a straight line going through time, being kept straight and on its tracks by those in power. The ruling elite, the patriarchy, capitalism, and every so often something comes along with a hammer and knocks this line so it takes a different trajectory. Sometimes this knock is small, other times it can be a sledgehammer, knocking culture and society out of the ruling elite's grasp. Capitalism is pretty good at moving the tracks to direct culture back to making money and being yet another product, but there's a brief moment where culture is free of this. I think Rock Around the Clock hit this line hard enough, no one knew what to do for a while, and for a short time, but longer than normal, young people felt free, they felt seen. Sure, all these things Bill Haley and his comments helped create, teen rebellion, rock and roll, revolution, are now sellable packages helping the rich get richer but he helped start a dialectic change which we'll be looking at over the next episodes. When this song comes on the disco, dance, have fun, sing along to the inane lyrics. Maybe don't fight in a cinema aisle though? Hopefully you'll understand why this song is still being played and why its energy has helped go on to shape rock and metal music. Thank you for listening. On the next episode we'll be discussing Bill Haley's friend Elvis Presley and his song Blue Suede Shoes. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at AHOHM100. Thank you.